Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you. And God, we're just grateful just for another opportunity to just come together and be in your presence. God, I just pray that as we uh, get ready to just be in your word, we get ready to hear your message. God, just let it be your message. Let us grow closer to you. Let us see more of who you are. So God, we just pray this morning, speak to us and let us open up our hearts to what you have to say. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Tuesday morning, I committed myself to trying to memorize that passage. As many of you know, who's uh, connected to the church really closely, Tuesday morning we uh, lost a very dear friend to the church and a very dear friend to me especially. And I, I was sitting there and, you know, this is a situation that the church had been praying for, that so many people had spent hours in prayer to God, that we were believing that God was going to bring healing. I mean, there, were, there was progress, there was improvement, and so as I'm sitting there in the hospital, I'm thinking, man, all right, God, your word says in Psalm 91 that whoever delights in you, whoever um, dwells in your presence, they are going to be spared from the deadly pestilence. No plague is going to come near their house. It's not even going to come near them. So God, I hold fast to what your word says. You are saying, God, that healing's going to come. You're saying that there's going to be this deliverance. And so, God, we're going to hold to your word. Psalm 91, God, these are your words. And I, I tell you, I believed them wholeheartedly. And then it didn't come true. And then we, we found out the news that nobody wanted to find out. That the healing didn't come. That there wasn't deliverance, but instead there was death. There was the passing of a friend. And honestly, I thought, what was that, God? What happened? 
Your word says in Psalm 91 that if we make you our refuge and our fortress, we trust in you, you say you will cover us. You say you will protect us. You say you will not let the pestilence come near us. You will deliver us from the snare of the fowler. You will deliver us from the deadly pestilence. Your word promises that, God. So what happened? How? How does this happen? Does it mean you failed? Does it mean that you did not come through, that you're not a God of your word like you say? Does it mean you're not faithful? Does it mean you're not really good like you tell us that you are? These are the, the thoughts that honestly I, I struggled with. Isaiah 55, 8 even. It tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are his ways our ways. And honestly, I struggled with that. As I, I thought of that passage, and it was like, okay, God, this, this has to do with your plan somehow because your thoughts are not my thoughts, your ways are not my ways, but God, in all honesty, that feels like a cop-out. I mean, it really did. For, for God to just be like, hey, you guys aren't going to understand this. You're not going to. Because your thoughts are not my thoughts. And your ways are not my ways. And so it was like, God, it's easy for you to say that because you're God. And I'm not. And we're not. And so I'm struggling with this. So, you know, it, it just kind of felt like a cop-out. Not that I was really wavering in my faith, but there was definitely a lot of questioning that was going on. And so I was left at a crossroads. A crossroads that every single person at some point in our life is going to be faced with. And a crossroads that apparently up until this point, I had not really been faced with. But it was just like here, the rubber was finally meeting the road. I said, I'm not a health, wealth, prosperity preacher. I believe that difficulty is going to come upon us. I believe that God is bigger. And then all of a sudden this happens. And so I was faced with two choices. Am I going to believe Everything that I have preached for the last three and a half years, everything that I have believed for the past many, many years of my life, am I going to believe that, that God is still good no matter what, or am I going to believe, God, you're not faithful because I can't understand this and because I don't see how this is going to work out. And so we're all going to be faced with that crossroads at some point. Where the rubber meets the road, where our faith not is not at the mountaintop, but it is in the deepest, darkest valleys. And we're going to have to decide, are we believing God is a God of his promises, even when we don't understand? Or, he's wicked, he's maniacal, he's just some master puppeteer that is just this evil God. And I, I chose the first one, that God is still good. That God is always good, no matter what. That he's God. That, that I'm not. That none of us are God, but that he holds to his promises even when we don't see how. Even when we can't understand it. Because the New Testament authors, multiple times, you're going to see in the New Testament where they're telling us difficulties are going to come upon you. But God is still good. You look at Paul, who was in prison, even for 
God. He was thrown in prison. And yet he writes an entire book about rejoicing in all circumstances. Even when he is not knowing where his next meal is coming from, even when he doesn't know what's going to happen next, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, maybe you didn't understand me, so I'll say it again. Rejoice. Just in case you think, really, rejoice. Yes, rejoice in the Lord always. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of various types. For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You know who James is writing to? He's writing to the 12 tribes who are spread out. They're not together. They have been dispersed. And he's saying, hey, you guys are experiencing trials. Consider it pure joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But honestly, I read those passages still, and it's like, okay, how do you rejoice in situations like this? Like, I I can rejoice at good news. I can rejoice through minor inconveniences. But how do you rejoice in sometimes what is the worst news that you've heard? How do we find joy in moments of pain when we're saying, what? What was that, God? How did that happen? And I believe we do it by shifting our perspective from what we are going through to an eternal perspective. When we try to see it through the eyes of God— Sunday night, this is kind of where the rubber uh, started to meet the road. Sunday night, I, pre- I, I preached a message about Daniel chapter 3, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are going into the fire, and they say, throw us in the fire. We don't care. We're not going to worship you. And God proved faithful, because not even a hair on their head was scorched. And then Daniel chapter 6 where they say everybody has to pray to King Darius and King Darius only. And Daniel says, nope, not going to do it. I'm going to do the same thing I've always done. I'm going up into my room with the windows open so they can still see me if they look in. But I'm going to have the windows open and I'm praying to the one true God. And they said, throw him in the lion's den. And he said, that's fine. I'm going to be faithful to God. I believe he is good no matter what, even in the lion's den, even in the fire, and God brought him out. To Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, one of my absolute favorite passages, where Elisha and his servant are surrounded by a host of an army, and his servant goes out, sees the army, freaks out, is like, Elisha, what are we going to do? And Elisha prays, God, open his eyes so that he may see not the army in front of him, but the army behind them that is fighting on his side. The servant goes out and sees a fiery army, one that is greater than the one that surrounds them. And God delivers them. And so my moment in that, my my final uh, resonating uh, point, I guess, in that sermon was what are we going to look at? Are we going to look at the fire and the lions and the army surrounding us? Or are we going to look at the God who is bigger than it all? And so what are we going to look at? But again... 
it's easy to say that because it's like, God, you delivered Daniel. You delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You delivered Elisha and his servant. But again, God, what you didn't hear. It doesn't seem like there was deliverance. Jeremiah writes in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 through 24, he says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Again, that's beautiful things being said. He must have said that during a great moment. But that's not true. Jeremiah wrote that as the Babylonian army is invading his country. As they are taking away his brothers and sisters and they're plundering and they're pillaging and they're raping and they're murdering. Through difficult times where it seems like God is not coming through, Jeremiah is still able to say, great is your faithfulness. And again, it's like, what? God, you're faithful in that moment? Yes. God is still faithful in that moment. Because when I was holding on to Psalm 91, I was holding on to Psalm 91 in a Andy Peterman perspective. I was holding on to Psalm 91 with, God, you're going to do this because this earth is what matters. This world is what matters. And so, God, you're going to do this the way I want you to do it. You're going to answer with this, this life being the one that is important. And so that's what I'm going to hold on to with everything that I have. But yet what we need to realize is this life is not what it's about. James tells us in James 4.14, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This life is, you know, from this date to this date, and that's what we have, but that is not all that we have. We can't have a focus of just this life, but instead we need to adopt an eternal focus. One that sees that this life, as James says, is here for a moment and then it disappears. But then there is an eternal life waiting for us. You see, what I didn't realize as I was trying to memorize Psalm 91 and just pray that and just hold dear to it, what I didn't realize is that God answered that prayer better than I ever could have imagined. That God came through more faithful than I was expecting it. Because there is an eternal healing now. Because God was just as faithful in that moment as he had always been. Even when I thought, God, you say you're going to deliver him from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. You're not going to fear it. God, how? And he showed us 2,000 years ago, just as Justin was talking about. That when he gave his life, he said, boom, Psalm 91 has just become, I, I don't know if I can say more true than ever, but it is 
just as true as ever, and now we see the ultimate truth to it. That when you have Jesus, you don't fear that stuff. When you see things through the lens of Jesus, we see the deliverance. We see that once and for all, there is deliverance in Christ Jesus. Because our friend has a new name. And he has an eternal home because there is trust in Jesus. And so that psalm, Psalm 91, is true today. Even when it didn't look like it. Because God tells us, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So Andy, your little mind was looking at Psalm 91 from a momentary point of view. Where God said, I just gave an eternal point of view. That there is healing eternally. So when my question is, what was that God? The answer is, God was being just as true to his word as he's ever been. And that God will continue to be just as true to his word as he has ever been. That we can have hope found in Jesus and that there is salvation found in Jesus. So the answer to the question is, what was that God? The answer is, that is God still being good. So what do we do when we have questions like that? When we're faced with situations like that? We don't put God in a box because he's always bigger than our box. Like I was trying to put God in a little itty bitty box and be like, God, you have to live in this box and reside in this box. And God is so much greater than the box I tried putting him in. And I'm realizing that God, God is good. And so even when we go through difficult times, we continue to praise God. We continue to realize, God, you are good. You are the one that is truly good. And so I'm going to trust in you. I got permission to share this. But uh, the morning of, if we can have that one go up. Uh, so Macy Gray, the daughter of Travis, uh, she, she posted this at 3, 3.10 in the morning. Never underestimate the power of prayer. I never post stuff like this, but asking for continuous prayers. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And I thought, man, what a great post. That's really good. Yeah, like we're going to be praying for God. Or not for God, but for healing. And you know, she's holding on to faith. And, and then we got the news at about 7.07 that God didn't answer the prayer that we want, or the way that we wanted it to. And then I asked, this is actually the one I asked if I could share, because it was just the most beautiful thing to me. And if not, he's still good. I mean, that's a 19-year-old girl, young lady. And here I am struggling with everything. And I gave up Facebook for a while, and I was like, I'm just going to get on and look. And I saw that, and it was like, okay, I can't take that. Because it is so beautiful. That this person that is in the midst of everything is still able to say, he's still good. That's how we get through situations where we say, God, what was that? 
by holding on to the promises that God made us, that he is good all the time. And so since he is good all the time, we can trust Romans 8, 28, where God says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So even when we don't see how it can work out, we remind ourselves God is good no matter what. And he is going to get us through this. And so what do we do whenever we are going through those situations when we're in difficult times? Uh, This is a song that I've been holding to this entire week, just uh, listening to it over and over, because I believe it is the secret to how we get through it. And it's called, Still I Will Praise. When we're in difficult situations, we still praise God. Kurt's going to sing it for us.
So when we read Isaiah 55, verse 8, and we trust that God is good, it makes all the sense in the world then. When we truly have that faith, when he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So even when we don't know how things can be, even when we don't understand the way that God is at work, we can again trust that God is good. But one more time, how? How can we know God is good? 2,000 years ago, there were 11 men who asked the question, what was that, God? Eleven men spent three years devoted to following their best friend, their leader, their teacher, and who they thought was going to save them from the Roman rule. They, they really thought like, hey, man, this Messiah, he's coming, he's going to deliver us, he's going to set us free. We will no longer be under Roman rule. They believed it so much. They said, we've left everything. We've left job. We've left family. We've left it all to follow after you, Jesus, so that we can be your disciples, learn from you, and then we can be on that marching army that conquers Rome. And then one night, 3,000 years ago, they all scattered. Not 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. But they all scattered because they saw their leader get arrested. And they were like, all right, he's going to free himself now. But it didn't happen. Instead, they saw their leader have the opportunity to explain himself, but he stayed quiet. They saw their leader get traded out for a murderer and a thief named Barabbas. An innocent man just got found guilty while a guilty man just got set free. And they're like, what is going on? And then they saw their leader get mocked, get beaten, get whipped, get scourged beyond recognition as a human even. And if that wasn't bad enough, they might have been holding on to hope. Like, all right, he's going to come. We've seen him walk on water. We've seen him calm the storms. We've seen him cast out demons. This is the greatest act he's going to do. He's going to set himself free. And then they saw him go to the cross. 
And then they saw or heard him scream. It is finished. And give up his last breath. And they were left with the question, what? What was that, God? We followed him. We committed our lives to him. The prophets predicted his coming. He fulfilled that to a T, God. And then this happens. What is that? But Isaiah 55, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. Because three days later, God knew exactly what was to happen and what was going to happen. And God knew that it was for, for such a greater experience. It was such a, a greater event. Because had God brought Jesus off that cross, we wouldn't have the hope that we have today. But instead, God said, you see, he has to go through this so that he can receive an eternal life that you are able to receive. Every single one of us is able to receive that. And so what they did not realize is that in that moment where they were thinking, what was that, God? It was the greatest act of deliverance ever, and that will ever take place. It was where we are now able to say, God delivers us from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. We're able to say that you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at midday. You will be able to say, God is my refuge and my fortress because I have an eternal life waiting for me. That's what you will be able to say. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, but not just on the cross, he rose from the dead. If it were up to me, that's not how it would have worked. But my thoughts are not his thoughts, and my ways are not his ways, and it's because he is far greater than I am. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us this. It says, For our sake he made him... Just listen to these words. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. He knew no sin, and yet God said, on you is going to be all the sin. So that, why? In him, we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 8, 3 through 4. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that we, in order that, sorry, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Then Paul, he says, you know what? I know what it's like to be in all circumstances. I know what it's like to be on the mountaintops, in the valleys. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Even when I say, what was that, God? I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, because 
God is the one who can get me through. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how we get through these situations. By keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Paul knew that. That is how Paul was able to say, in all circumstances, rejoice in the Lord. And just in case you don't think I mean it, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Because God, Paul then says in Philippians 4.19, Because God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How do we know that? Because you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside. He nailed it to the cross. And then he says, Therefore, if then you have been raised with Christ... No longer seek the things of this world. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your minds on things that are above. Not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so we can say, because we have salvation in Jesus, because we understand what the cross means, God is good in ways that we don't even understand, that we're not going to understand. But we can trust that God is good no matter what. And that for those who have placed their faith in him, We have a victory. We have an eternal life waiting for us. And so what we need to do is stop looking through this earthly perspective, which is so hard to do because we like to live in the present. But instead, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There was joy in that because he knew that you and I and so many other people, he did it for the whole world, could find an eternal relationship with him. That's how we know God is good. And that's how we know that God is good all the time. Father God, you are good. God, we don't always see it. We don't always understand it. But God, give us the faith in you that you are good. No matter what, God, this this world, we're told, is going to come with even more heartaches. Even more times where we're going to be like, what in the world is going on? Where we're going to really question, God, are you in control? So God, give us an eternal perspective to see who you are. God, strengthen each one of ours' faith 
until someday, God, you're going to come home. Either you're going to call us home or you're going to come back and take us home. And so, God, until that day, may we live for you in everything that we do, holding fast to your promises, knowing that you are good. And God, I just got to say, if there's anybody in this room who does not know who you are or the goodness that comes in a relationship with you, God, reveal yourself to them. Reveal yourself to us who do know that so that we can see that you are God. If you'll stand with me this